Blog Talk Radio. And because 
the Lord has revealed Angola who is in the land. Na kwa sababu Bwana amefungulia Angola ni nani aliye katika nchi. Elijah moved from Bethel to Gilgal to Jordan to go. Elia alitoka Bethel Gilgal kwenda Yorodani kwenda. So the prophet of the Lord is moving from here to a double portion of revival in Angola for the church to enter. Kwa hivyo nabii wa Mungu anatoka hapa kwenda Angola kwa upako madupu ili kanisa lipate kuingia. I see Kenya is open. Ninaona Kenya hii wazi. I see Kenya is ready. Ninaona Kenya hii tayari. But Angola is not yet ready. Lakini Angola haiko tayari bado. Time is finished. Na wakati umekwisha. Time is over. Wakati umeisha. Please release the prophet to Angola. Tafadhali achilieni nabii aje Angola. Please let the valuable mighty man of God, the one sent by God to come to Angola. Tafadhali wachilieni nabii mkuu wa Mungu aliyetumwa na Mungu aje kule Angola pia. Let me tell you something. Hebu niwaambie kitu. If you don't know. Kama mjui. The Bible. Biblia. Then you don't know what's happening here. Wow, 
that thing has rubbed on you. Rubbed on you. Hallelujah. Which means you've caught a little bit of it, you know. It has touched you. You have been induced to be like, right? So, I'm just looking about the, a little bit at the historic perspective of the Oriental society in Israel. And uh, I want to describe something here. There were shepherds at that time in Israel and in that region, Palestine. And uh, many times they were shepherds of sheep. They were looking after sheep. And uh, sometimes they would run into challenges with their shepherding. Uh, some insects and parasites would infest, would climb on, infest the sheep and start to bite them, suck blood. And uh, because of the wool, the wool, plenty of wool, those parasites and insects would prefer to actually climb to the ears. If you have been a hard boy, a hard man, then you understand what I'm talking about. They would climb, especially because of a lot of the wool, so they would prefer to climb to the ears, the exposed parts, and suck there. And bring disease sometimes, those pests. would also bring disease, insects and parasites. They prefer to climb to the ears and suck. And now, those sheep would fall sick. They would emaciate. They would not perform well because of that. And so, in order to fight this, to counter this, this challenge that had come up, the shepherds in Palestine used to take oil and pour on the head, the head of the sheep, the head. And that oil would flow all over the head and cover all those areas of the head that were most vulnerable. Even the rest of the body, though, but the head, the exposed places, exposed parts. And it's amazing to me that when they poured oil on the head of the sheep, then the insects, the pests, would find it difficult to climb and go invade, attack, and suck, and kill, infect and kill. So I thought that was a very, very interesting part that you should know. But because of the oil now, those little enemies could not gain access. And the ones on whom oil had not been smeared, oiled, I mean poured, rubbed, would remain exposed. They would be exposed to the dangers of the wounds of infestation or infection. Hallelujah. 
I think all of us are now on the same page, having said that, right? Now you begin to understand what's going on in the church, right? Why the church needs this oil. Hallelujah. That they may not climb. That they may not be able to climb and bite. Incredible, right? And so, I thought that was worth mentioning in view of, I mean, contextualizing this within life in Palestine, the Oriental life at that time. Poured on the head that they may not be able to climb. And so, those sheep on whom this oil was poured would remain healthy, normal, and they would mature. But the ones upon whom the oil was not poured would be infested, infected, attacked. And then, as a consequence, as a result, they would emaciate, not be able to grow. So, when you looked at one that has been infested, the oil was not poured, and the young ones, they would almost be same size even as old as he or she may be, that sheep. But if not anointed, would just remain emaciated and infested and sickly, bony also. Why? Because the pests always know what to suck. They know it is blood. They head for the blood. They know it is the blood that beholds life. So they always went for the most important ingredient of life. Hallelujah. So these little enemies, that's how they continue to pose challenge to the sheep in Palestine until the shepherd began to anoint the sheep. <laughs> And then they found that the more they anointed them, the more that challenge went away. Hallelujah. Does somebody hear me? In church, right? Okay. Um, the anointing essentially signifies God's blessings and God's calling upon a person. Hallelujah. So you begin to understand what is happening within this ministry that you people are anointed of the Holy Spirit and the kada, the level we are talking about tonight here. Now the book of Exodus chapter 29. Exodus 29, 1 to 7. This is what you shall do to consecrate. I'm reading Amplified so it will really help you. This is what you shall do to consecrate Set them apart that they may serve me as priests. So it's a consecrate, set them apart. Hallelujah. That they may serve me as priests. So you understand what is going to be happening here or what happens to the church that's anointed. Take one young bull and two rams, all without blemish, and unleavened bread. And unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers, 
spread with oil. Of fine flour shall you make them. And he goes on to say verse 3. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in it. In brackets here, this amplified. And bring also the bull and the two rams. And bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tent of meeting. Out where the lever is. Particular spot. And wash them with water. Then take the garment and put on Aaron the long and sleeved tunic, the robe of the effort, and the effort and the breastplate, and guard him with a skillfully woven girding band of the effort. Verse 6. And you shall put the turban or mitre upon his head, and put the holy crown upon the turban. Hallelujah. And you see, now, because he's talking about the turban, which is, of course, the symbol of priesthood there, but he's saying now he shall take the holy crown and place on the turban, which essentially identifies the priesthood. Look, to whom is it subscribed? You understand? Whose priests are these? Right? The holy crown, which symbolizes the crown of the Lord. And then he goes on to say, verse 7, then take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Hallelujah. You see the cleaning of the person, right? He's talking about wash him, clean him. So the whole thing about setting apart or consecration here is to do with cleaning. Hallelujah. And previously we have also seen in the book of Exodus, and I know it is chapter 30 from verses 22 where he describes the sacred anointing oil that is used for this purpose. And in that description here, he often come out and talk about the respective components. And each of them, indeed, they confer upon that oil a certain property. Exodus 40, verse 9. I'm just talking about the pouring of the oil on the head, right? Hallelujah. He says, take the anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings, and it will be holy. So there it talks about the consequence, the ultimate product, the final objective of anointing. However, I want to bring your attention to the fact that as he's doing that anointing, as he's doing that anointing of the person, then it talks about his office. His area of operation too. Hallelujah. So the anointing that comes upon the church indeed consecrates the church. The church as you, the Christian, the body of Christ, right? The heart. But even much more importantly, the location. Your area of operation, your office, the church, the facility, the place of worship. Hallelujah. Do you know why? The Lord deemed it right, found it fit to anoint Simeon before Pentecost. Before Pentecost. And I've said it here, that that was the groundwork, preparing the ground for Pentecost. Because you see, out of that anointing, then Simeon did certain things. He developed a certain revival. 
certain conduct, certain demeanor, that indeed became the prototype, the telling, the foretelling of what Pentecost will bring, what Pentecost will be, right? What it will be like. And so, precious people, the reason the Lord anoints the church is that these little menacing pests, hallelujah, may not climb to the ear and bite and suck out the life, the blood, so that now the church that's anointed is, number one, blessed, and we said that blessedness is unto the Lord, as in chosen, called unto the Lord, right? It is a protected, hallelujah, so the, the blessing, the protection, and empowered. So it talks about the role of the anointing, right? Which means, when he says empowered, he's saying that there is a role here. I am doing these things for a purpose. There is something I want you to do. You understand? Hallelujah. Amen. What a wonderful day here. And so, I've read Second Kings now, chapter 9, verse 6, right? I'm just talking about the pouring of the oil on the head, right? So you may know it was not just the little lamps and the sheep in Palestine, but this was the practice. Again, Second Kings 9, verse 6. And he says, He rose and went into the house, and he poured oil on his head, and said unto him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. I'm slowly and step by step beginning to walk you, not only in the different levels which I've mentioned, but now I'm saying that there's always a purpose for the anointing. So the anointing of the Lord, does it then become the inauguration or the appointment? Hallelujah. The appointment of the Lord. Meaning you've been tipped for that appointment and then now you are being appointed. The church has been appointed. And that's all pointed to one thing. There is a task. There is a duty. Right? Hallelujah. The book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 9. Verse 8 says, Let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Hallelujah. Do you understand? I'm drawing step by step into a certain uh, countenance, a certain uh, character, that the anointed person, this was supposed to be the outlook. Let his clothes always be white and the oil never lack on his head. Meaning, there is a glorious image that goes with the anointing of the Lord. Hallelujah. So, as we will see, it's the purging of, of sin and sinfulness, but also the empowering for the function, the task I'm about to mention just now. James chapter 5, verse 14. You're all familiar with that, right? And then First Samuel 16, verse 13. First Samuel 16, verse 13, he says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. 
Samuel then went to Ramah. So it's amazing to me that if you look at now the life of the person, that's what he's talking about here, that look, it is a continuum. Right? He's saying that the life of the person is continuum. A continuum. It's continuous. But there comes a day of demarcation. When say, on this day, I have anointed you. And he said, from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him with power. The empowerment, right? That day. You remember the time of, uh, the time of Haggai, the prophet? And there was a crisis. A crisis had precipitated into Israel. And so, if you hear the conversation of Haggai 2, if you read on, Haggai, during that time, a big crisis befell the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah, he's saying this. He's saying that there were elders there. There were elders there. And then, the practice was ongoing of worship, right? Of worship. And you know, worship was the mainstay of Israel as it is for the church, right? Can you imagine if worship is taken away from you? Yeah, then, then you're done. Yeah. So, what happened is this. Because of the malpractice in the house, now, the worship in the house degenerated. And many times, it's important to understand that you can think you are in a revival, or the revival is continuing on, when, in other words, the Spirit of the Lord has lifted. You understand? The glory has lifted. So that's why it's important to, that's why it's important to be sensitive, to detect, you know, sensibility. Failure too, which we call numbness, spiritual numbness, not able to detect, right? But what happened is this. The priest, when the high priest would go before the Lord, in Israel they say standing before the Lord, meaning to minister unto the Lord. When the high priest would go before the Lord, and when they would go before the Lord, they went in there. You understand? But then, all of a sudden, it dawned on this high priest, but just a moment, things are now different from what they used to be. And I think that's normally the essence, the beginning of revival. When you're able to realize, come to yourself. But look at this now. When the high priest went over there, and he realized that the glory was not coming down after the sacrifice. And then he came out, and he asked, he asked the elders, who of you is left here that saw that former glory? How it used to come down. The cloud used to come down, right? And then that was the spark. That was the moment of awakening when the elders all of a sudden realized, wow, the glory is not here. And they began to weep. So in other words, he highlighted unto them the inferiority of the temple as at that point. Compared to the superiority. In other words, he highlighted the superiority of the former. Right? And yet they were aware that they should have worshipped and worshipped and worshipped from glory to glory. Right? Now, listen to this now. The key things that highlighted, that came out, that stood out, that made them know that things were not the same, different, is because, number one, 
The fire was lacking. You understand? They realized, wow, the fire is not here. Number two, the glory has not descended. The glory was not there. Number three, the ark was also snatched. Number four, the spirit of prophecy was not there. They realized that these things were lacking. They were lacking here. Right? So I want just to share this on five. This is the one I wanted to bring out to you. There is what we call Thumim. Urim and Thumim. It was this. That I'm talking about before the Holy Spirit came. Right? That when the high priest went in there, before he went in, Israel always came and sought counsel. And inquired. And asked. Did you understand me? What should we do as a nation, as a people? We are, we are confronted with this. Please, what is the position of the Lord? How should we handle this? I know the many other things. Bar mitzvah and many other things they do. Even the feasts, by the way. Each feast had its own foods and name it, right? But how should we do this? Now look at this. Then, what happened was very simple. Hallelujah. This is what happened. It was the importance of that, that component that came with the visitation, the glory, the presence upon the priest. Is because whenever Israel was confronted with the challenge and they went and inquired, always the council was here. He always gave them the position of the Lord. They realized that was lacking. The priests were not giving counsel. The counsel of the Lord. And that's why I was saying, then you realize even the wisdom. This was coming out of Urim and Tumim. But listen to this. They went and sought counsel, and there was always the position of the Lord dispensed unto Israel. But when the glory was not there, then there was darkness. People were lost. There was no leadership of the Lord. Look at this now. The anointing of the Lord brings forth this wisdom. You can say the revealed counsel of God. Because among many things, He brings wisdom and counsel to you. Right? Because the thing is, because you hear Him, Look, who of you is left here that saw the former glory? Then they wept. Right? Then He came out and said, Look, and then said, No, 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 don't worry. You see, in this place, the latter glory of this house will be greater. And in this place I will bring peace. You know? My peace. He even said the gold and the silver are mine. So you see him now talking about the restoration, the bringing back of that glory, of that which was lost among those features, I say, the five or six. But look at this now. The key thing, the key thing is this. He's now talking about the restoration that, you say, now when I shall come upon Israel, upon you, Upon the church. Because how? Why was there hope? Why is Haggai talking about hope? Say, no, 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 no. Don't worry. The latter glory of this house is anyhow going to be greater than that which you are weeping about. He said, don't weep. Because I know you are weeping. Because it sounds like nothing now if you compare with what was coming down. He said, don't. Act. Just be comforted by this. That anyhow, the latter glory of the house is going to be bigger than that. But why? Why was he promising that to the house? 
Can I go and give this answer? Because by virtue of connection, by virtue of association, don't worry, because this house is connected to the Messiah. <laughs> Don't worry now, because this house is very deeply associated with the Messiah. The latter glory, the latter glory of the Messiah, when it comes, will now be greater than the other one. And I want now translate that, transduce that into what we are having today. That even in your weakness, even in your inability, current or previous, you say, don't worry. In this anointing that is going to happen here, by virtue of your association with the Messiah, you will now do greater exploits. Now there is hope. No, but he goes on to say, the gold is mine, the silver is mine, meaning he's saying, that anointing that comes out of the fact that you are associated with the Messiah is even greater than the gold and the silver of this earth. <laughs> and then he says, and in this place I shall grant peace. Because why? Because he knew that the Messiah would come and then would bring repentance. Meaning, bring peace, the Prince of Peace. Look into the house now, come back to the house, the owner of the house. Bring reconciliation. So, you could summarize it this way. You could say, what we are doing is greater than the gold, the gold mines and the silver mines of this earth because we are earning reconciliation with God today. Reconciliation. That's all that's happening here. But farthest from being infested by the menaces of this earth, sin therein, now you can be a purified church. A vessel, like I said, I'm going to cover that right now, that has purpose, which means usable. Because some are for noble and others are for ignoble purposes. And he says, and those which have been set apart for noble purposes, cleansed and purified, sin removed from, they become for noble purpose. Hallelujah. I think that is Second Timothy chapter 2, right? Yes. Once I was teaching on those verses, right? So it's the creating of a vessel today here. Hallelujah. That's why I'm saying, all these things are pertain. They relate to the role of the Holy Spirit in the heart, in the life of the believer, of the church, right? This answer, the anointing of the Lord that comes to the church. Why? Why is it that now all of a sudden we're saying, wow, how can Simeon be like this? We didn't see him among the apostles. And now he's becoming so important. He was tipped with the task to witness, to reveal the Messiah to the nations. Wow, what a mighty man that beheld the Messiah and blessed him. Wow, this man shocks me. Why? Because when the anointing of the Holy Spirit came upon him to do these things, he defeated the wealth of the earth. Hallelujah. The silver and the diamond and the gold and the mines, like I said, inadvertently, the mines. You now see him saying, Lord, my eyes have touched your salvation. I've seen the salvation you have prepared unto the nations. And he says, now let me go. Meaning, now I don't care. You understand? He didn't say, now let me go sell my things and give to the poor and transfer some funds to the charitable organizations and greet my sons and daughters and bid them farewell. No. He said, now let me go. 
say, everything else has been rubbish now. In the presence of this anointing. So I think this is the whole process of separation here, right? Separation is going to take place here. So anointing is a rite of inauguration into an office, like I said, right? Jeremiah 22, 14. He says, today, regardless now, it doesn't matter now. <laughs> Everything has been rubbish, right? Hallelujah. Now, the anointing of the Lord is always for a specific purpose. Remember I said I would want to handle the purpose? It's always for a specific purpose. And I say, number one, for God's service, as you all do, no? Number two, that anointing of the Lord, hence, must always be in agreement with the scripture. Right? That I have said world over, that the Bible is referenced, right? That anointing of the Lord always bestows power upon the beholder, those I've said before. So, in other words, another point, the meaning of anointing means is this, is that chosen. Chosen, right? Chosen. When you are chosen. When you are anointed, you are chosen. Can we look at Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19, another point? Because now I'm talking about purpose, right? All that is under the purpose. Can I run through the purpose again before we read? I said for God's service, number one. And under purpose, I said, must be in total agreement with Scripture. And then the third part of it says, God's power to bring to you. D now says chosen, that you may be chosen. Purposes of anointing, to choose you, right? And then now Luke chapter 4, this is number 6 or 5, 5. Luke 4, 18 to 19 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. He's talking about the Messiah here, right? But then, by extension you, right? Yes, because he came to show us the way. He didn't come down here that, oh, I don't have the anointing. Let me go down there and get the anointing. No, 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 no. He is already glorified and anointed eternally. But he came here that he may show us the way. You understand? So all these were done that the church may follow this. You see that? Again, the Spirit of the Lord, he says here very clearly, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The anointed one is the Messiah. He has anointed me, now anointing the church, to preach the good news, the gospel, to the poor. Have you seen the purpose now? Have you now seen the purpose? To preach the good news, to bring the good news to the poor. Hallelujah. And then he says, He has sent me to announce the release from captivity, to announce the release to the captives, which means to set the captives free, right? Hallelujah. And recovery of sight to the blind. To bring sight to the blind. Now we are dealing with the purpose of the anointing. Right? Hallelujah. It indeed had to be in the order of the Messiah. Hallelujah. And then he goes on to say, uh, sight to the blind. And to send forth as delivered those who are oppressed. Meaning to bring deliverance to who? The oppressed. Hallelujah. Who are downtrodden. Now there you go. He's magnifying the oppressed. Downtrodden. Hallelujah. Bruised. Crushed. 
broken down by calamity. Those on whom the sorrows of this world are weighing down. Do you understand me well? Amen. This is what he's talking about here. Hallelujah. Yes. And so, again, another purpose. Of, now you've, you've gotten many purposes there for the anointing, right? Another purpose for the anointing is as was with the Messiah. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts 10, 38. He says, You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, in Galilee, which is Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, that you may have power, you understand? And how he went around doing good, meaning the other purpose is go around and do good. And the only thing that is good to the Lord is holy, doing holy, and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Do you see that now? So, from the temple, the conversation about the temple. Who of his left that saw the former? And they wept. Because they realized God was not with the house anymore, was not with them anymore. But he's saying here now, the, another purpose of the anointing, that you may go bring healing to the sick. And then, that God may be with you. John 14, verse 16. John 14, 16. This is what he says here. He says, verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will tell the Father, but you know, that is the, they call it the caveat, Right? That if you love me and obey my command, then I will do this. So you understand, the anointing comes with total obedience, right? But let me just read 16, which is our target though. That's why I read 15, that you may understand that there is that obedience required. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, you know, to be with you forever. So this other side, Amplified says, you see, and I will ask the Father, that he will give you another comforter. So the anointing of the Lord is meant to comfort you also. To comfort you. You are just comfortable. Hallelujah. And people may wonder, why are you comfortable? In this perilous world, the economic crisis, the Ebola is here. Things are happening left and right. There is so much assault on the human being, right? On the person. Why are you so comfortable like this? Because your face tells me you are comfortable. The anointing of the Lord, right? He brings comfort, right? He says, bring the comforter, the counselor, meaning gives you advice. Hallelujah. But look at this. The other side of the coin is right also. I'm talking about the same coin within the anointing. I'm not talking about the big coin where one side is anointing, the other side is not. Within the anointing. He's saying what he brings to you when you're anointed. But I want you to understand that you are being sent. So if you're being sent, then look at this now. Within the anointing, then he's saying, you are being anointed here. Comforted, you're being given uh, counsel and so forth. But since you're being sent, then you'll be dispensing the same to the church. You will comfort the church. You'll counsel the church. You see that now? Hallelujah. Amen. Yes, sir. So, 14, 16, he says, amplified, and he says, counsel, comforter, counselor, helper, you'll help the church. 
intercessor. You will intercede before the Lord for that church, right? Advocate. You will be the advocate for the church. You will advocate for the church, right? Strengthener. You will strengthen your church. Strengthener and stand by, he says. That he may remain with you forever. Hallelujah. From this day on. And then the book of First John chapter 2 verse 20. He says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Right away you begin to understand that he's saying what? That the anointing of the Lord comes from the Lord and belongs to the Lord and brings to you truth. The truth. Right? Second Corinthians chapter 1 verses 21-22. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verses 21-22. Then he says here, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. So, this whole anointing finally is meant to do what? To make you stand firm in Christ. But, the bottom line of that standing firm in Christ is sanctification. Meaning, he's saying, will now sanctify you and separate you out unto the Lord. That's why the high priest had that writing when he said, separated unto the Lord, meaning holy unto the Lord. So, the final purpose is that you may be fully sanctified unto the Lord. And if you want to know the purpose, the purpose is this. That we have the vision on the coming of the Messiah. And the church is not ready. Meaning, and there is work to prepare the bride, right? Hallelujah. We find that this anointing is coming at a very important place in the history of the church. Important time. Why? Because we saw what happened in Israel. Like I shared a little bit during the dispensation of Haggai. First part, we are leaving the second part of that dispensation, right? Yes. And we saw that uh, there were a few things that were lacking in the ingredients of the house, right? And so they were able eventually to detect. They were able to detect. I mentioned among them the spirit of prophecy was lacking. That, that was lacking. Yeah, and then they realized that the portals of heaven were closed, right? Because there was no communication coming through. So yeah, that made them detect right away that the channels of heaven were closed. Now, they detected that some things were lacking among the components that rent the house of the Lord. And I said the spirit of prophecy was lacking. And also lacking at that time was the glory. The glory was not there. And so that was describing the decay, the apostasy that had eaten into Israel because of failure to keep the covenant, right? But now, these things were lacking there. But what amazes one is that when the Lord was speaking with Israel, He showed Israel. He said, look, when you go there, don't make covenant with these people. Right? 
you can almost see the genesis of the fall, right? And you wonder why and how they fell. Look. The other people, they worship occult. So don't make treaties with them. Don't intermarry with them. You understand? Don't give them your daughters to marry or let your sons marry their daughters, right? It was all clear, right? Even before they entered that land, they were warned. And you know, the kind of challenges the Lord was raising before Israel, you could say they were obvious. So that's why sometimes you wonder why they fell, right? Now look at this. They could see that that is a big statue of Dagon. I am not going to go and worship that, right? It is right there, very big statue, right? The occult of the people around there, right? But what shocked me is that, look, everybody look at me now, focus here. That is Dagon, big statue. God has warned me, let me not go there, worship, let me pass this way, right? But those statues still presented a tremendous challenge to Israel. In fact, slayed her down, right? She found herself worshipping them. That was the challenge, right? Very big challenge. Until the Lord became so much disgusted and pushed them out back to Babylon, right? Now, this anointing is coming at such a time when there is a big circle the inner smaller circle with rays going to touch the borders of the outer circle. Again, the big circle. And then the smaller one with those uh, connections to the outer. And he's saying, you can label the inner one, you say, the church. And the outer one, you can say, the world. Right? Are we together there? I'm moving it to the next level. I'm just defining at what time this anointing is coming. Right? Are we together? Can I move on? Please. Let me do again this for those who are not here yesterday. The bigger circle and the smaller circle inside. And the smaller circle you can name the church. The outer circle you can label the world. Right? Now look at this. You can see the world and say, look, that is the world. I don't want to go there. Right? However, I raise forth a second circle. Right? When I say, draw a second circle, larger one, and a smaller one inside, same rays, but label the inner one, the true believers. True Christians or holy Christians. And then, all bracketed and say kingdom of God. And the outer one you can label kingdom of the second circle. The outer circle is very large. The inner one is small. Then call the inner one true believers, true Christians, holy Christians. And then look, those three in bracket say kingdom of God. The outer one, now look at this now. The outer larger one, now for the second circle, label it the church. This anointing is coming at a time when the enemy is hidden. Did you understand the importance of the wisdom I talked about here? You can say, okay, that is the world. I don't want to go there and fail to go. 
and preserve yourself. But, he's saying from the second circle that this anointing is coming at such a time when there is so much assault onto the kingdom of God. And look at this now. From the church. Can I explain this? Because, he's saying, the dragon that you see you can avoid. But still challenged Israel until they went down, right? However, right now, look, the enemy is hidden. So, this anointing actually is to help you to separate the church from the church, right? Look at this now. He's saying that this wisdom is going to be very important. Why? Because it will help you understand, have discernment in order to separate the true believers, who now, the holy believers, right? Who now represent the kingdom of God from the other church. And then it's hidden. Why? Look at this now. Because they will go and buy a Bible. The big dagon that you could see you could avoid. This anointing is coming at such a very important time in the history of the church. Because the enemy and someone, he also inserted himself, including inside the word. Has also attacked the word. And, and put his study notes, they put their theories in there. Their life theories. Their life paradigms. Their life philosophies. Their life ideologies. Life theologies. Life models. So they will explain for you the word and you know, whatever. And then softly find that you've been swayed away to their camp. Do you understand the importance of this anointing? That's, a, that's the time at which it's coming. The Dagon you can run away from. But this one might come. Someone is preaching on TV. I'm following. Slowly. Seems to be preaching right. Then he starts to insert in his ideologies, his philosophies, his theories, his theology. Softly they start to get to you. That's why this is so critical right now for the church. To separate the church from the church. The true church which actually is equal to the kingdom of God. And the other church, like the outer circle, the other one which is kingdom of Satan, this other outer circle also is kingdom of Satan. And the kingdom of Satan is perpetually trying to encroach on the kingdom of God. And that's why this anointing comes at a very critical time. And that's what the Lord will use them to do. To separate the true church from the swelling, the buffalo, the yeast. Hallelujah. This is the message that is percolating here. Hallelujah. There is a war. It's a big fight between the world, the kingdom of Satan, and the kingdom of God. I fight it every day. All of you fight it every day. But now, they're going to fight for the church. When the counselor comes to counsel you, when he brings wisdom to you, and comfort to you, so shall you dispense the same to the church. Do you understand? Because the enemy is hidden even in books. They call it Christian books, right? And then you find that they put their theories there, their ideologies there, their philosophies there, and they hide it. 
One of them might say, the secret number is 58. But every time I gave a seed of 58, things worked for me. Or, and I might apply it 580, 800, whatever, 58 is a number. Those are their theories and models and paradigms and philosophies and ideologies. Now, the church is eating that. It may not have come as a big dagon you can see and run away from. It is subtle. It slid in very softly. The kingdom of Satan is perpetually trying to encroach on the kingdom of God. And that's why this anointing comes at a very critical time. And that's what the Lord will use them to do. To separate the true church from the swelling, the buffalo, the yeast. Hallelujah.